So we're like around page like 177. Does that sound correct? Okay. So good afternoon, everybody. Hold on. Feedback. Okay. So we are on Proverbs chapter 16, verse 32. And Heather is going to be our reader today. Thank you, Heather. <laughs> You're welcome. Okay. All right. Um, so a ahead. mighty you, you man. You don't have to read the Hebrew, just read the English. Yeah. Thank God. Um, <laughs> a mighty man, Gibor, means a person quick to take revenge on his enemies. Wait, wait, wait. Before his... you read the before you read the commentary, mm-hmm. read the translation of the verse. Oh, the... I yeah. gotcha. Up on top. Okay, gotcha. Yep. Thank he you. who is slow to anger is better than a mighty man. And one who rules his spirit than one who captures a city. Okay. Amazing. So (laughs) we're talking here about a person who, um, who is able to control themselves, right. And able to control their emotions. So, uh, this is that, that was uh, verse 32, right, Heather? Correct. Yeah. So this is, um, you know, reminiscent in the book Ethics of the Fathers in chapter four, Mishnah one. It one of the things that it says there is who is strong, Ezehu Gibor, who is strong, um, it is Hakovish et Yitzro, a person who is able to capture their own Yitzer. That means their own drives. So very often when we think of a powerful person, we think of a person who has a lot of control over other people right? Like we might think a powerful politician has influence over a lot of people or a powerful business person uh, has a lot of, you know, people working for them or has a lot of sway in the community. So we think of power as power and control over other people. But actually what Judaism teaches us is that the greatest form of power and control is actually the power and control that we have over ourselves. Um, and that particularly in this verse, what we're talking about is anger, right? Can you, Heather, can you repeat the translation? Yes. A muddy man, Gibor, means a person quick to take revenge. Sorry, sorry, Heather, just the translation of the verse. Oh, you, oh, not the commentary. Right, the one you already read. Yeah, just a repeat. (laughs) He who is slow to anger is better than a mighty man and one who rules his spirit than one who captures a city. Okay, right. So we're talking here about a person who can control their anger and a person who can control their spirit. So what this means is a person who has self-control and a person who has control of their emotions. What that means is that this person, this powerful person, a truly powerful person, is the one who is capable of experiencing an emotion but not acting on it. So they can acknowledge and become aware of the fact that they are angry, sad, scared, triggered, happy. It could be any emotion, right? But that they have the power to not immediately or impulsively act upon those emotions. So they can acknowledge them, experience them, feel them, but they have control over those emotions and the emotions do not have control over them. And this Judaism teaches us is the greatest form of power and control. So the next time you find yourself, you know, thinking about a person or talking about a person, 
you know, saying, wow, yeah, they're very powerful. You know, it's like I always say in, in American parlance, when we talk about somebody who's successful, successful is an alias for wealthy, right? And so, you know, I ask people, the next time you say that somebody is successful and what you really mean is wealthy, it would be interesting to ask yourself, like, is that really what success is? Is that how I define success, right? And to be more careful with our words. To me, a successful person is a person who has worked on their character, a good person, a kind person. That is a successful person. So too, when we find ourselves talking about people and saying they're very powerful, right? If that means that they control other people, that's not true power. So let's be accurate in the words that we use, right? That a person who has control, self-control, who is self-disciplined, that is a truly powerful person. Okay. Hi, Cindy and Sheila and Avril and Allison and Karen. Nice to see everyone. Okay. So Heather, whenever you're ready, we are ready for the commentary. The commentary. <laughs> a mighty man, a Gibor, means a person quick to take revenge on his enemies. His might is in his physical conquest of external foes. Should he obey the moral laws, however, and overcome his instincts of jealousy and revenge, then he will be better than the mighty, for he will have conquered his most formidable enemy, his inner urges. There is moreover another level of self-conquest where not merely, says F, AF, I don't know, where not merely, and then it looks like it says AF. I don't know what that means. Anger is its outward physical expression is suppressed, but even Ruach, oh, I gotcha. It's Hebrew. <laughs> but even oh, Ruach. Yeah, off, off. The word off in Hebrew is anger. Yeah, I could see where that might be a little misleading. <laughs> right. I was like, what? Okay. But even Ruach, the spirit of anger, the inner desire for revenge is eliminated. That is the ultimate moral achievement. Okay, thank you. So what this is saying is that the, the, the self-control, right, takes various forms. First of all, it's in not taking revenge, right? So, and, and by the way, you know, we're not talking here about these like grand large schemes for revenge, you know, like toppling somebody else's empire. Even if you're, you know, in a conversation, let's say, and somebody makes a snarky comment about you and you feel the urge to make a snarky comment back, that's a subtle form of revenge, right? So what if you could, you know, or, or like somebody dissed you socially, so you dissed them back socially. Somebody didn't want to do you a favor. So now, you know, super, super passively aggressively, you don't do them a favor. That's revenge. If you can control that urge to take revenge, somebody snubs you and you don't snub them back. Somebody makes a comment to you and you don't make a comment back, right? That's this might that we're talking about, that's this power. So one manifestation of this is suppressing the urge to take revenge. The second piece that, that the author is focusing on in the commentary here is this idea of anger. Anger, which is felt, but not expressed in action, and anger that is felt, but then that suppressed anger also dies down and goes away. So let's talk about these two different things. So the first thing is, you know, something happens. Actually, I would say there are three levels. 
Okay, level one, this is the lowest level. Something happens, you feel really triggered, you feel really angry, right? You realize there was like some event or a simcha or something and you weren't invited, right? And you feel really upset and you feel snubbed and you feel hurt and you feel angry, okay? And you have this urge to act on it, right? And you do, you, you, sorry, you have this urge to act on it, but you don't act on it. Okay. So the anger or the feelings are still bubbling within you, but you don't act on it. That's amazing. That is an amazing act of self-control. The second level is where you feel this urge of anger. Okay. But through self-talk and muster work and mindset shifting, right? You're like, listen, it's okay. They don't have to invite everybody. You know, we're not really that close. I don't know why I had that expectation. When I made a simcha, I also had to decide who I was and wasn't going to invite. That's just part of, right, how it works. And you like, you know, don't take it personally. And you use all your muster tools and you're able through your hard work to subside that anger inside, right? You don't, you don't really have an urge to act on it. That's the lowest level. You have an urge to act on it. You don't act on it. Amazing. The second level is you're able to even change your emotional state on the inside. That's the second level. Here's the third level. The third level is you nip that emotional ur urge in the bud right? Before you even work yourself into this angry, hurt frenzy that now has to be dealt with, right? It becomes a habit where you're like, okay, they didn't invite me. That's okay. Life happens. And you just get used to rolling with things and not personalizing things. And so it, it doesn't even become a whole thing on the inside, right? So those are the three levels. All of them are beautiful and valuable, and all of them are an expression of self-control, and all of them are an expression of inner strength, right? But it just shows you whatever level that you're, you're at, there's more to aspire to, right? That we, we can bring ourselves to an even higher state than we currently are. And, and, when, and with them, when we have these wins, we can be very, very proud of ourselves. Okay? So that's verse 32. Thank you, Heather. Any thoughts or comments on verse 32? I personally love that you took it down to like the most basic level because then it's like, I feel like a warrior when I want to say something like to my kid and then I don't. <laughs> and then I'm just like, I'm only, I just feel like I'm just utilizing silence, but I feel like I just like, accomplish something incredible. <laughs> well, you did. That's what this verse is teaching right. us. You like scale exactly. Mount Everest right there. <laughs> right. Exactly. It makes but, me feel but you great. can feel it. Can't you feel that effort inside of you? You can feel how hard it is. Absolutely. Yeah. And by the way, I want to add something onto that. It's not only hard if you really were going to say something. Like, let's say you're in a work environment, okay? And you're superior or somebody that has a lot more power or, well, there it goes that word power. Someone who has a lot more um, clout than you, right? Says something maddening. Now, this is not a situation where you're actually gonna say anything. You're just not, it's, it's, just, not the, it's just not socially appropriate. You know, you don't wanna get into trouble at work. You're just not, but it's, it's it's really, really hard for you because you're so irritated by the stupidities that are coming out of this person's mouth. 
So it's not hard for you in the sense that you were going to act on it. It's still hard for you not to act on it. You still get enormous credit for that. Do you understand? Mm -hmm. So even if you're not a vengeful person, you're not going to actually take revenge. But if it's still hard for you not to take revenge, that's still an incredible win. I sometimes think of this in terms of certain mitzvot that I keep, you know, like, um, like dressing modestly, for example. Dressing modestly is sometimes a hard mitzvah for me. Now, it's not a hard mitzvah for me because I consider not doing it. I'm not going to not do it. I'm just not. This is how I was raised. This is how I live. This is my life. These are my clothes. This is how I dress. But if it's July in Israel and it's 99 degrees, it's hard. It's not hard because I'm really tempted to change, but it's hard because I'm uncomfortable and hot. So Mm -hmm. I get tremendous credit for that, even though I wouldn't do it any differently, but because it's hard and uncomfortable, I get an enormous credit for that. So we should give ourselves that huge pat on the back every time we do something hard. Right. It's like davening when you're just like so tired or just things aren't going great and you don't, you just don't want to talk to God. And then I'm like, no, when I do it anyway, it's like the best. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Should we read 33? Um, Hang on. Any other thoughts or comments on 32 before we move on? Okay, Heather, we're ready for 33. Let's get the translation first. The lot is cast into the lap, but its whole decision is from Hashem. Okay. So this is a very interesting dichotomy between free will and faith, or I should say fate. Okay. So, and by the way, if anybody wants to read more on this topic, there is a book by Rabbi Akiva Tatz and it's called free will, free will, something I forgot the whole title, but definitely the word free will is in the title. It's, it's a very deep, philosophical, heavy book. <laughs> I'm just reading it a little bit at a time. But it's all about this intersection between, you know, what is fate, what is predetermined, and what is subject to a person's free will, right? So here we say the lot is cast. Like there's a certain predeterminism in the world that God decided that certain things were going to happen, right? And and everything is from Hashem. Everything is from God. But by the same token, I have the ability to choose certain things in my life, right? And so obviously that's that's a very big question. How is that possible? And Rabbi Tatz goes through all these different philosophical approaches in his book. But it is definitely an axiom of Judaism that... Um, everything comes from God. Everything happens for a reason. Everything has a purpose. Everything has a place, right? And that's a big part of our faith. Um, I shared on my Monday morning mustard chat, and I, I'll I'll post it on your guys um, on your guys WhatsApp chat as well. There's this rabbi, this uh, Sephardi rabbi who lives in New York. His name is Rabbi Joey Haber. Um, he's really, really brilliant, super interesting guy to listen to. I love listening to his stuff. Um, And he told this unbelievable story. Heather and I were just texting about it this morning. Um, I'm not going to tell you all the details because he he tells the story in this like little four minute video. 
but it's basically about how these two people's lives intersected in fascinate in a fascinating way. And then decades later, their lives intersected again in a fascinating way, you know, and you hear stories like this, or maybe you've experienced stories like this, you know, and you're like, wow, like, like Heather likes to say, that's Hashem, baby. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that had to be from God. That's crazy. Like, how does that stuff happen? You know, or maybe you guys have experienced a story in your life where things just came together in a certain way, or you needed to meet that person or those, you know, stars had to be aligned, so to speak. Of course, that's not how it really works, right? But that everything just had to be in the right place at the right time for this to happen or for this to fall into place or for that person to be in your life, right? And you're like, oh my gosh, like it has to be that there's just like an order to the universe because otherwise nothing else makes sense, right? So so that's a big part of what this verse is talking about. Okay, let's do the commentary, Heather, please. There are times when a matter seems entirely up to fate or chance, as when people cast lots to decide something. Till the lot falls, the outcome apparently is hidden in the lap of fate of more chance. But in reality, the outcome is the Almighty's deliberate decision. Reminds me of Purim. Yeah, well, it's interesting because it uses the word lots, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, if you think about it, let's actually talk about Purim for one second. If you were to be in charge, okay, if you were the chairperson of the committee for coming up with a name for the holiday of Purim, okay, what would you call it? The word Purim, just to explain, means lots. The word Purim is a, the plural of the word poor. And it says in the Megillah that Haman cast lots to determine what day to kill the Jews. And it says he peeled poor. He threw lots, right? Purim is the, is the plural of that. So the holiday of, of Purim is called basically like the lottery. If you were to be in charge of the title of the holiday, would you call it that? And if not, what would you call it? Opening it up for the crowd. Come on, ladies. I'm looking for your input here. I'd call it Geula. Geula, which means what? Geula means redemption. Okay. So... Karen would call it redemption, right? Because that's the end of the story, right? That the Jews were redeemed. Okay, very good. Somebody, uh, Cindy wrote a holiday of faith. Okay, yeah, that's that's another great one. Any other suggestions? What do you guys think is odd about calling it Purim? Because as Jews, we are not um, subject to the forces of the world. We can rise above the influences of the planets. And yes. any- That's right. But the name of the holiday makes it sound like 
the world is left up to random chance that it was being left up to this lottery. Haman was trying to throw a lottery to figure, to draw lots, to figure out when he should schedule his genocide because he wanted to pick out a date that God was not going to take care of the Jewish people. And the Talmud actually reveals that he picked out all these different dates and he was like, no, this is not a good month. This is a month of the holiday. No, this is not a good month. This is a month of a holiday. No, this is not a good month. This is a month that God loves the Jewish people, right? And then he came up with, with, um, Adar, and he said, oh, this is a good month. Why? Because this is the month in which Moses died. So this is a, this is a bad month for the Jews. He didn't realize that that was also the month in which Moses was born, which was a good month for the Jews. So it seems that the holiday is being called on this notion of random chance. Why would we call the holiday the notion of random chance when actually the holiday celebrates the opposite of that? So the answer is that the whole problem with Purim is that we are laboring under a delusion of random chance. Like Heather just read in the commentary that in the beginning, you know, when you're first going into a situation, it feels like it's up to fate. Will I get this job? Won't I get this job? Will I have a successful year? Won't I have a successful year? Will this medical scan come out clear? Will it not come out clear? Right? Um, are my kids going to be successful? Are they not going to be successful? Will the election turn out the way I want it or won't it turn out the way I want it? So, and it's like, I don't know. I, it's, it's up to chance. It's up to the universe. I just have to wait and find out, right? The reason it's called Purim is because the Jewish people did not realize they, they thought it was Purim. That's what they thought. And then when they were so surprised at the end of the story that God was really running the show all along and that God put Esther in the palace so she could be uniquely positioned to advocate for the Jewish people and Haman was in this position so that he could be vilified in front of the king and exposed as a dictator and an anti-Semite on and on and on, right? All of a sudden the Jewish people were like, oh, it's not random chance. Everything is up to God. Wow. Oh my gosh. I get it now. Right. So the trick that this verse is telling us is that before the end of the story, before you have the answer to, will it be a good year? Will it be a good election? Will my kid, all the things that are like up in the air, right? Before you have the end of the story, you want to strengthen yourself in your faith and say, everything is up to Hashem. If I don't get that house, it was meant to be. If I don't get that job, it was meant to be. If I don't, you know, if, if this relationship doesn't work out for myself or for my loved one, it was meant to be. This client, you know, turned me down. It was meant to be right before, or I don't know if this client right will turn me down when we're still in that state of limbo is to strengthen ourselves and remind ourselves that everything is up to God. Everything is predetermined. And of course we have to try our best to advocate for ourselves and to have, you know, good, good things happen to us, whether professionally, personally, in our relationships and, you know, all the things that we're busy with. Right. But the test of faith is where we are in a state of limbo of not knowing perhaps emotional turmoil and to be able to say to ourselves, you know what, it was already decided on Rosh Hashanah, whether 
this is going to happen for me, or this is not going to happen for me. So why am I going to stress out and freak out? You know, this goes back to what we were saying before about power and control, right? That we think that with our worrying emotions, we can somehow affect a more positive outcome, right? But that's not true. Everything is, it's, it's actually extremely liberating when we can, you know, allow ourselves to do this, you know, whether it's, you know, I mean, my daughter was going to have this job this summer and then it didn't work out for her for various reasons, you know, and I so wanted her to have this job. And when she got the job, I was so happy. I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be a great summer for her. And she's going to have this amazing opportunity. And she was going to be working in the same camp as my other daughter. And I was like, my girls are going to be together and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then at the last minute, it didn't work out. And she's not going to that job. And instead she's coming to Israel with me. Right. And it's like, Here I was in my little limited vision, you know, having all these plans when it was already determined on Rosh Hashanah, you know, 10 months ago or whatever it is, nine months ago, right? That my daughter is going to go with me to Israel in the summer. I had no idea because I'm not God. So this is why some people use the Hebrew phrase, Emir Hashem. If any of you have heard people say that, what it means is if God wills it to be, right? Or like the South Africans say, please, God please God, (laughs) which is an acknowledgement that yes, I have plans with a capital P, but I'm also acknowledging that I have a limited, you know, I have limited access to the plans of the universe, right? And that I'm acknowledging that there are greater forces at play than just me and my knowledge. So it's sort of like a humble declaration that things could change Things could change unexpectedly, right? And that's part of being a human being. And when we're sort of, when we sort of qualify things that way, right? We say, God willing, you know, my plan is to go to Israel this summer. Then we're saying, you know what? Sometimes unexpected things happen at the last minute and it doesn't work out. But I already affirmed to myself that, you know, God has the bigger picture here and not me. Okay. Welcome, Dana. Any thoughts or comments on verse 33? Or, and or, if any of you has a story about a time that you made plans and then, you know, things happened at the last minute, I would love to hear that. Question, if it is okay, may I ask, what about people who die young unexpectedly? I'm not sure what you're asking, Allison. Can you clarify your question? Okay, sorry. Um, just recently, I've had losses of two people that um, it was really unexpected and they were in their 50s and I just don't get it. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm so sorry that you experienced those losses. That's tragic. Um, But I think that the question that you're asking is sort of a little bit different from what we're talking about. I think your question is why do bad things happen to good people? Um, No, I mean, like, I just don't understand how life is can be just taken like that. You know? So you mean how could, that that, be, how could that be like God's plan? How, how, yeah, does how is that part of God's that? plan? And, and I don't know if this is an appropriate time for this question. I mean, maybe offline, but yeah, it's when you were saying it, that's what I thought of. Yeah. 
So it is definitely a much bigger conversation than, you know, the scope of this class, but I will tell you that there are some people who are meant to come into the world for a short amount of time and they accomplish whatever they were supposed to accomplish in that short amount of time. Like I remember when my father passed away when he was 30 and I was six and I remember this big conversation happening at the time, you know, the Shiva and all of this. And people were asking this question and a few people said to me, you know, your father fulfilled his mission in the world. And, you know, I don't remember if, I think even at the time I actually found that concept comforting. I don't recommend saying it to people who are mourning because they might not find it comforting. But for me, it was comforting to think that every person comes into this world to fulfill a certain purpose and some people fulfill it sooner, you know? And then I was like, well, couldn't he have procrastinated and taken longer with his purpose? So we could have had him a little longer. Um, But if you're asking this, how could it possibly be God's plan for a person to only be in this world for 50 some years? The real question is, I don't know because God has many, many reasons But one possibility is that sometimes people do come to this world for a short period of time and they make an impact and they affect other people and they accomplish what they were meant to accomplish, you know, in a short period of time. So that's just one, you know, thought that maybe could help. And I'm very sorry for your losses, and I hope that you're able to find comfort and peace in time. Okay. Any other any other thoughts on this, Heather? Were you going to share something? No, just that concludes 16. Oh, that's the end of our chapter. Correct. Oh, top. Okay. <laughs> That's exciting. We finished chapter seven. Okay. So I was 17.1. So um, just opening it back up to the group, you know, we talked in the beginning of this verse about, you know, the idea that, you know, the sort of like HP, as we call it, which means divine supervision. Um, HP also stands for higher power that sometimes things happen in your life where you're like, oh my gosh, this is such, this is such a divine plan. You know, how could this have happened otherwise? So I did want to ask the group if anybody does have um, a personal experience like that, where, you know, you were like, oh my gosh, this is too perfect to be true. You know, wow, how could this, how could I just, it's just in the right place at the right time. You know, if anybody does have some experience to share about that. I would love to hear it. Yeah, Erin. Um, okay, can you hear me? Did I unmute? Yeah, we can hear you. Uh, okay, this was kind of cool, but last year a friend had asked me to go on an Israel trip and I wasn't sure, you know, I, I and I'm not the type to just say yes, but I said, okay, I have to check my passport. I have to check everything. And all the stars aligned. And then right in front of me, a car with the license plate said Beshert. <laughs> oh my God. And I, I was like, I mean, I think it was the same day. And I was like, okay, thank you. I'm doing the right thing. It was like, it was right. You know, there was, there was no other explanation. Wow. So, so Beshert, cool. for those who are not familiar, is a Yiddish word that means meant to be. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. It was very cool. Phew. I love that. (laughs) 
Was that a momentum trip? It was a destiny trip. Oh, okay. It was, yeah. So That's that awesome. was last March. So yeah, I was That's on sort the of like a momentum 2.0. Yeah. But I had never seen this car before ever, you know, cause you know, and it was a license plate right on like down the street from me. So, wow. <laughs> kind wow, of- wow. That is crazy. Um, I will just tell you, some of you saw this story in our JFX email newsletter, and some of you saw it on Facebook because I posted it afterwards. But um, my husband is, uh, he's very, very careful about praying with a minion three times a day, unless there are some extenuating circumstances. So sometimes when he travels, he has to get creative about finding like a group of guys who are doing their prayers. Um, and so he was uh, traveling through Baltimore, whatever, long story, coming back from New Jersey. And he was in Baltimore because he's running a weekend for guys in, in Baltimore. Um, and he was on the, I think it was the New Jersey Turnpike. And he just basically like resigned himself to the fact that because of his schedule, he wasn't going to be able to pray with a group. Um, so he, he, he stops into this, he drives into this rest stop and he figures, okay, whatever, he'll just find a quiet spot and he'll put on his, you know, his tefillin and his talit and he'll do his, he'll do his prayers. As he pulls into this rest stop, there is a bus and all around the bus are these teenage kids with their kippahs and their tefillin and they're praying. And he's like, excuse me, <laughs> like they're in this hick town in New Jersey. And he's like, what is this? And they're like, oh, we're like a group of, they're a group of eighth graders from Queens, New York. And they were going on a class trip and they needed to do their prayers. So they pulled over their bus and they literally converted the bus into a synagogue in order to do their prayers. And it was actually a Sephardi group. So they read certain parts of the prayer off this parchment. Um, It's very, very cool. My husband sent me a couple of pictures, but he's like, could you imagine? I'm thinking to myself, gosh, I really wish that I could find a group for the prayers, but I can't. Okay, whatever. I'll just pull into this random rest stop off the turnpike. And as I'm pulling into the, there is like a portable synagogue in front of my eyes, you know? So I feel like this is such a great way to strengthen ourselves, you know, in our faith. If we find ourselves wavering and we're like, I don't know, it kind of things kind of seem random and meaningless, you know, is there really like an order to the universe? And then we'll have an experience like that, like Aaron, with your, you know, seeing that word, but share just when you were trying to figure out, you know, if this is the right thing for you, you know, and my husband, like, he just felt like it was like a kiss from God, like a little present, you know, it's just so unbelievable when these things happen. Okay. Any other thoughts on this verse? Oh, Sheila, thank you for that comment. That's so interesting. Okay. So let's, yeah, Dana, go ahead. Mine wasn't as inspiring as that, but um, today it's not a competition. (laughs) Okay, on Thursdays I have a great day, but a very full Jewish day because I learn with you at eleven Chicago time, and then I go to partial class with Elisa Polstein. And today, um, I my son has to have his bags packed for camp tomorrow at five o'clock. Have not started one thing. Um, crazy with work and was like really like this pull of like, what do I do? Like, I really wanted to learn and I love my Thursdays, but feeling so bad at the same time. Um, and Aliza, like just a minute ago, had to cancel because one of her kids, I'm like, okay, thank you, Hashem. Done. So, yes. So I see yeah. people every day. It's amazing. That's incredible. That has definitely happened to me sometimes where I have such a packed full day and I'm like, how am I going to? 
fit it all in. And then somebody will cancel on me or something will fall through. And all of a sudden I'll find myself with a free hour on my hands. Right. It's amazing. <laughs> and I, it's funny because people are always so apologetic when they cancel. Oh my gosh, I'm so, so sorry. You know, I'm like, I mean, I don't want to sound like I don't care, but I'm like, oh my gosh, you just gave me a free hour. Thank you. No need to apologize. It's all meant to be. It's all good. Right. Yeah. That's, that's, that's good. Thank you, Dana. Sometimes the, sometimes the less dramatic stories are actually more relatable because I think like all of us have experienced what you just said, right? Whereas my husband's story is not a story that's going to happen to everyone. So, and you know, in a way yours is more relevant, I feel like for so many people. Okay. Any other thoughts on this before we start chapter 17? I mean, yeah, 17. Okay. Heather, are we ready to dive in to the next verse, the next chapter? I'm ready. Okay. Better a piece of dry bread and tranquility with it than a house full of feasting with strife. Ooh. Okay. I'm just jotting down the keywords here. So this is actually a theme that is very prevalent in the Torah, which is about, it's not about what you have, but about how you have it. That's going to affect you. Right. And this is also true of how we give things to others. Like the Torah says, it's better to give somebody a small donation with a smile than a big donation begrudgingly, you know, and, and I could tell you like from the position of somebody who's a you know, associate director of a nonprofit, this is absolutely true. You know, as much as we need, you know, donations to, to sustain our organization, but the small donations that are given with such a full heart and so much joy and gratitude are so, so precious. Right. And sometimes the large contributions, if they're given, I mean, thank God we have such a, we have such an incredible community. This is so rare, but if somebody were to give a, you know, a large donation, but sort of begrudgingly or angrily, or, you know, just with not, with not a good heart, it's like, it's sometimes not even worth it, right. To deal with that kind of aggravation. So, and this is true, even not talking about like an actual official donation, but if you, you know, um, I don't know, you do someone a favor, like, you know, let's say, I don't, I don't really have so many carpools anymore these days, but let's say back in the day, I used to drive a lot of carpools and you have to ask your friends for favors. Like, oh, I'm, I'm going to be a little late or can you, you know, double up or can you take over my carpool? I'm going out of town, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. And you'll have some people who are like, oh, totally. Yeah. I'm so happy to help you. It's so not a big deal. Of course. I'm so happy you asked, you know, they make you feel so good. Right. And then some people are like, oh gosh. Um, wow. I don't know. Um, let me check my skin. Okay. Let me see. You know what? Um, okay, fine, fine. You know what? It's, it's fine. No, no, whatever. It's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. Right. And, and you're like, you're left feeling so dumb, you know, that you asked them for a favor. So they're doing it, but they're doing it begrudgingly. Right. So what this verse is telling us is it's relevant to what we have. And it's also relevant to how we give to others, right? That if we better like dried bread with tranquility, like I'd rather just have a little bit, right? Like, you know, some people are in like a very, you know, like high power job and they make a lot of money, but the job comes along with so much drama and aggravation, you know, that people, 
a lot of people will find themselves in a position where they would rather take a pay cut and make less money and have this peace and tranquility, right? Or maybe quit their job and work for themselves so they can have this peace and tranquility than have like all of these riches and all of these advantages, but there's, it's full of strife, right? I'm sure many of us have been in situations like that where we've made that trade-off. Okay, Heather, will you read the commentary for us? The prosperity and success of the wicked, however impressive, is only illusion. Far better is the fortune of the sadiq, even if he only if he has only a crust of bread because he has peace in his home, while a wicked man is in a state of discord, either with his family or with other people. Inner serenity, undisturbed tranquility are the essence of true success in life, and this can be attained even with a piece of dry bread. Okay, thank you so much, Heather. So you cannot measure, if you put up these two things for comparison, right? Having physical blessings or physical, you know, privilege or advantage versus having emotional serenity and peace, it's like no contest, right? And, you know, sometimes a person wants that, like, high profile life with all of the, you know, fancy trimmings that come along with it, but they can't even enjoy it because there's so much aggravation and there's so much anxiety. And, you know, you're always looking over your shoulder and who are my enemies? And these people don't like me. And these people want to take revenge on me, right? Versus a person who just wants to do the right thing and they don't need the fancy job and they don't need the fancy things and they don't need the fancy titles, but they're just happy to have less and to have inner serenity. You cannot compare, you cannot compare, you know, the advantage of material wealth to the advantage of inner serenity, you know, and you can't buy serenity. You can't buy it anywhere. There's no app for that. There's no store for that. That's just something that is a byproduct of being a good person and doing the right thing is that you get to have inner serenity. It's priceless. It's absolutely priceless. So that's what our final verse is telling us, 17.1. Thank you, Heather, for being our reader today. And if there's any final thoughts or comments about verse one, chapter 17, or anything else that we discussed today, I hereby open it up. Okay. Well, have a beautiful day, ladies. As you know, I will be traveling next week and then for a couple of weeks after that. So I will not see you for a few weeks. Feel free to share your muster wins on the WhatsApp chat uh, as we, you know, we need to keep ourselves strong or you can listen to recordings, the podcast, uh, you know, if you need a little reinforcement until we get back together and God willing, I will see you back here on July 20th. And thank you, Avril, for keeping our emails up to date. Um, and thank you, Heather, for stepping up today. And thank you all of you for participating and joining. Have Safe a beautiful travel. day and a Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat thank shalom. you, Ruthie. My pleasure.